Well, two weeks ago, we started this spiritual journey together, and it's spiritual because God is our leader. He's the one inspiring us, and God is a spirit, and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. And it's also a journey because God is not leaving you where he found you. He loves you, but he's going to move you where he's, he's going somewhere. God's on the move, and he's got a plan for this world and for us as a church and for you as an individual or as a family. And so we've been following this spiritual journey of Abraham as God gave him a vision. And God said, look, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I will bless your family. It will become uh, greater than the sand on the seashore. You won't be able to count everybody. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Well, right off the bat, we're told that Abraham and Sarah, uh, his wife, are not able to have children, that Sarah is barren, and she is past the age uh, of having the ability to have children, but they believed God. And so they obey his command to move, and God's promised here a land and descendants and blessing to the whole world. And they don't know how the details, how all that's going to work. But they believed God, and so they follow his lead. And after catching the vision and following in obedience, Abraham begins to pray fervently, God, time is passing. When are your promises going to be fulfilled? God, what's going on? And God has to come back to him. We talked about that last week. And basically say, Abraham, just trust me. Just trust me in obedience, and I will bless you. I will bless you. Well, we as a church stay connected to God through prayer. And so in here, we even have a whole prayer journal. It's on page 82. And there's a prayer walk around the campus. starts on page 86. You start at the foot of the cross. And there's 10 different places you can stop and pause and to read God's Word and and meditate on things and to pray to God. And um, so we see prayer as a powerful component of what we're talking about and how each of us needs to be praying to God. God, what do you want with me? What do you want with my stuff? The answer is yes. Abraham and Sarah have trusted God, and they've obeyed God, and they've pulled up stakes, and they've moved where God has directed them, and they have received these promises from God. And in the process, if you read all of the text, they have all kinds of various adventures and misadventures and trials, like a famine, like fear that the king is going to steal Sarah because she's so beautiful and put her in his harem, like their loser nephew Lot that took the best lands for his own herds and then moved to Sodom and then got captured as a prisoner of war. And Abraham has to muster an army of 318 men and to go recapture the people and all the property that was taken in the raid. Like meeting Melchizedek, the high priest and king of Salem. Melchizedek, king of Salem, which became Jerusalem, where David was king a thousand years after him like giving a tithe of all that they had received back in the uh, war uh, back uh, to King uh, Melchizedek because he was a priest from God, like being visited by the Lord and hearing the same promises in person, but still no baby. God's promises aren't coming to fruition. Abraham still doesn't have an heir. He's waited year after year. Finally, he says, I'm going to take Eliezer, my servant, and adopt him and name him the heir. And God says, no, you're going to have your own son. Adoption is not the answer. Ten years go by. Abraham and Sarah finally say, let's take matters into our own hands. Ten years is a long time. Do you ever get impatient with God? Can you imagine having a promise for ten years? Can you think back ten years? How life was different. I mean, ever have that feeling that God's plans are just taking too long? We can relate. But God is never late. He's always right on time. Just trust God. That's what lordship is all about. 
make him the Lord and put him in charge of everything. Look what it says in Genesis 16. We're going to begin at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave, uh, or Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he had con- she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarah has this great idea. I'm not able to have children. It's because of God. He's preventing me. Tell you what, we can still get the promise fulfilled. Use my servant girl, Hagar, and I can have children through her. Abraham's response? He listened to his wife. Now, men, generally, that's a good thing to do, especially if she has been seeking God's counsel. But she hadn't, nor did Abraham. I mean, having a baby with Hagar was not God's plan. Sarah and Abraham came up with that plan all by themselves. They took matters into their own hands. They haven't listened to God. God has remained silent. So this is kind of a warning to us, isn't it? Think about it. These people loved God. They had heard God's voice clearly to them. They had received God's promises. They had followed God in obedience. They had cost them plenty, and they waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, and you get the point. God's promises weren't being fulfilled. And after 10 years, they said, well, let's try it like this. And they don't ask God. They just do it. And basically, Abraham and Sarah have taken a shortcut, which by definition is the longest distance between two points. It never gets us where we want to go. And their plan worked. Hagar conceived and bore a son, and the trouble was just beginning. They hadn't asked God. Everything began to unravel. Hagar has contempt for Sarah. God bless my womb, not yours. And Sarah realizes that she's wrong, and she shares that with Abraham. Look at verse 5. Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said, Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. God doesn't need our help in making his plans. Just follow God's plan. I mean, we often put God in an awkward spot, I think, of saying, God, I've got these plans for my life. Bless them, bless them, bless them, rather than praying, God, what do you want in my life? The answer is yes. What do you want to do with me? The answer is yes. What do you want to do through me? The answer is yes. That's surrender. Just say yes to God. Now, Hagar, because of Abraham and Sarah not listening to God, Hagar is injected into this story because of the bad advice and the poor choices of Abraham and Sarah. They've gotten impatient with God, and yet God is gracious. He cares about everyone, even a lowly servant girl not from around here. And the pressure on Hagar got so intense, she's run away, which is not the way to solve most of your problems. And God comes out and finds her in the wilderness. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? 
And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel basically says, Sarah, stop having a pity party. Stop complaining. Stop thinking only about yourself and only about today. Take a longer view. I'm going to take care of you. I will bless you. You're going to have a multitude. Your family will be huge all of its own. Just go back and submit yourself. Now, God's messenger here quizzes Hagar. What are you doing here? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? And that's God's gracious way of saying, you're off track. You're out of bounds. You're not going the right way. You're not on the right path. I mean, think about it. God visited Adam and Eve in the garden, and he had told them you could touch every tree but that one. And as soon as they ate the fruit on that tree, they realized they were naked. They tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. And when God comes for a walk, they ran to hide. And God goes, Yoo-hoo! Where are you? He knew where they were. He knew what was going on in their lives. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew everything about them, just like he knows about you, just like he knows about me. We can't hide from him anywhere. And so God's going, where are you? When he's, what he's really saying is, you're on the wrong path. You've chosen the wrong choice. Let's get you back where you need to be. Or Elijah has this huge experience of taking on 400 evil prophets of Baal and, and whipping them, beating them, and God won. And God demonstrated his power on the top of Mount Carmel. And then Elijah is just elated until he gets one little hate note from Queen Jezebel who says, so help me, I'm going to have you dead by tomorrow. And he goes into a post-adrenaline stress disorder, and uh, he, he runs literally 295 miles to get away from his problem. And he comes to Mount Sinai, and what does God say to him? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? This isn't where you're supposed to be. This isn't where you belong. And God wants to get him back on track. So God comes to Hagar in, the, in his messenger, the angel, and says, where are you coming from? Where are you going? What are you doing? Hagar is at the end of her rope. Her life hasn't been a bed of roses. It hasn't been easy. She's run away from her problems, and it doesn't work, and she's dying in the desert, and God is watching, and he's looking after her, and he sustains her. God makes a way when there is no way. Maybe that's what you need to hear today because life hasn't been easy, and there seems to be no way forward. God makes a way when there is no way, and he sends her back to her mean old master, Sarah, and God promises, I will take care of you. And Hagar had to trust God not only to guide but to provide. If God's got a plan, he's got provisions that he puts with that plan. He matches those up so that his plans are provided for. So where God guides, he provides. And God doesn't simply obliterate our mistakes. He uses them to teach us and to work for our good and for God's glory. And God still has something to teach Abraham through this child. The Bible says Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him a son. They named Ishmael. Ishmael is not the son of God's promise. He's not the son of God's timing. He's not God's miracle. Ishmael was created through human effort. They basically took God's plan, set it aside, and did things their own way in their own timing rather than surrender completely to God. You only get the right result when you do the right thing God's way in God's timing. And when you trust God, and sometimes that means you have to wait, and God will provide. Remember, we're talking today about surrender, about surrendering our will and our wishes to God's plan in our life and in our church. And uh, sometimes that can take extra long and can be extra costly. 
Now, I was about to make a comparison at this point between Abraham and ourselves and surrendering ourselves and our stuff to God. And as I was getting the message ready, somebody came by my office and was talking with me and said, you know, I'm going to give a gift to my church, but I'm so tired of hearing about money, money, money. Okay, non-attribution. Nobody's going to be in trouble. Raise your hand if you say, I agree with that sentiment. Okay, I can't be the only one. See, my hand is up, okay? And, uh, and so I said to him, well, then sit down and write a check for $10 million and tell me to shut up. <laughs> now, that won't cover all the need, but you know what I'm saying is to say, put your money where your mouth is, then let's move this thing forward. Let's get going where God, uh, God has clearly indicated to us. He wants us going as a church. But after they left my office, I had several other responses. Have you had that situation where, you know, you, you say, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. So one of those was, was, well, you know, this is a political year, and I don't know about you, but I'm already tired of hearing about candidates and issues and problems in our country and what they're going to do. Anybody else? You tired of that already? Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're tired of it. You are going to be educated and informed and texted and emailed and overworked and overpolled, and you're going to hear about it. And even still, a year from now, a pathetic number of people won't even vote. It's especially tragic the number of millions of Christian people who fail to fulfill this civic duty, and we deserve what we get if we don't participate in the process. We are called to be salt and light, and even if it's exhausting and we think we've heard all way too much about it, it's still time to do the right thing. Now, another answer I would have given them if I'd thought about it is, you know, our campus expansion is expensive, and I need everyone to participate and to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want from me? What do you want to do through me? And how do we sacrifice for the next generation so that the children we have and the children of those children and generations yet to be born can come to here this location and have this be a place where they can hear about Jesus until he returns? I also would have told him if I'd thought about it, you know, we have an ACE team that's working on the plans and on the finances, and you can be sure they're working diligently to keep costs down and prevent wasting even one dollar. In fact, we've just been audited again for the fifth time in, the, in five years. We voluntarily submit to an outside audit every year so that we can get a statement from the auditors that if you'd like to see, I would love to show you. Bottom line is, about page 18, we get an A plus again. And we have a very responsible team working with God's resources. We want to do God's work, God's way, and God's timing. And God wants to include you in His work. And it'll cost you something because love always requires sacrifice. It does. In fact, I was humbled this last week. I came out of church, and there's a little girl, Brianna Golson. I think she's 10 years old. She's out here at the little kiosk, and she says, Would you like to buy a cupcake? Excuse me? She said, would you like to buy a cupcake? I said, what's this for and how much do they cost? She said, this is my, I'm trying to get my gift together for the building program. And so you, they can cost whatever you want them to cost. <laughs> I said, oh. Well, it turns out she had spent several days saying, Lord, what can I do? I got to do something. She's not working from her, uh, from her abundance. She's, she didn't have anything, so she convinced her mom, let's go shop, buy some stuff, we'll make some cupcakes, we'll put them out there, we'll ask people to buy them. Whatever we make, we can give to the Lord as a gift. She gave a gift this week of $264.02. So if a 10-year-old with nothing could do something like that, 
don't, don't limit the Lord what He wants to do through you or through me. I mean, I'm inviting everybody. Yesterday, I was at a denominational meeting. They asked me to come in my uniform because it's close to Veterans Day, and they wanted me to talk about being a chaplain in the military, and I was going to tell them about that, and I did, but I also took the time to say, you got to know what's happening in our church. We're trying to follow God. There's a big plan, and it's expensive. Everybody here, there were 500 people there. They were speaking, translating into 11 languages at this denominational meeting, and I said, there's something you could do for me. You could give a gift to our building program anywhere from $5 to $5 million would be wonderful. I said, and if you can't, you can at least pray for us. Afterwards, two people came up and one said, I've never heard a colonel beg for money before. <laughs> Here. And he handed me a gift. He said, put this in your building program. So somebody who's never come to church, you've never even seen you, goes, if God's doing a work, I want to be part of it, at least in a little way. Well, let's get back to Abraham. Abraham has joined God in doing God's work, and he's followed mostly in obedience, and mostly he's been patient, and yet he still has parts of his heart that have to surrender to God's plan, and God asks for a sacrifice from him that is significant. Look what happens. God comes to him and says to him in part, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." Now, just a little aside, that's part of where I just, I'm going to be unwavering in support of Israel because God doesn't put any qualifications on them. Simply, they've come from the children of Abraham, and God says, this is going to be their land, and I'm going to bless them. And God's forever. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you will keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You will be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, the covenant of circumcision, God intends to strengthen the bond with Abraham. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. It's like in a marriage where people commit to each other, so names are changed. And God directed that all the males in Abraham's clan would be circumcised. It was the ideal of giving himself completely to God and being marked as somebody who's totally given to obedience to God. So circumcision was a sign of identification with the promises and plans of God. Now, that's beyond anything we're asking in our capital campaign. <laughs> and there are Coptic Christians in Egypt and in other parts of the Middle East that are marked with a tattoo on their wrist. They mark their babies on their wrist with a, a, a cross. So if they're ever confronted by the enemies of Christ, they don't have to speak at all. They just look for the body markings that makes it clear what side they are on. And Abraham, at 99 years old, is circumcised as an act of obedience to God. And then once again, God clarifies the plan, promising a son through Sarah. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. 
And he said to himself, so he's bowing before God. But as he's, even as he's bowing, thinking his face is out of view, that he can't be heard, he is laughing in the face of God. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael, my son, might live before you. And God says, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a son through your wife, Sarah. And Abraham bows in respect and laughs in disbelief. And he says, oh, that my son Ishmael might live before you. And God says, Ish who? Ish who? He's, Ishmael is not the son of promise. He's not the covenant son. He's not the miracle baby. He's not the one. And for 13 years, Abraham, you've taken this into your own hands. And the last 13 years, you've been thanking God for the gift that he's given you, which is not a gift from God, is not the direction I wanted you to go. You did that all on your own because you didn't ask God and you didn't listen to God's voice in this one area of your life. You need to surrender even this to God. Ishmael was a son of human effort. Isaac would be the son of promise. Isaac was the miracle baby. I mean, it would be hard to believe, unbelievable, actually. And God tells him, my plan is through Sarah. It will be a miracle. I will take good care of Ishmael. Now listen, when you've got your plans and God comes along and says, let go of your plans, which is what he did to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want your plan. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So when God says, let go of your plans, you might not even be sinful plans. It's just they're not God's plans. Maybe for a job choice or what to do in retirement or who you're supposed to marry or plans to do with your money. Surrender yourself to God's lordship in your life because you and I are not the owners. God is the owner. We are managers. You know how we know for sure? When you die, you leave it all here. You've managed it, but it's not yours. It's the Lord's. He is the owner. We are the managers. And there's a problem when a manager tries to and starts to act like an owner. God is the Lord. We are his people. And our plans are only good if they are, we are following God's plans. In fact, this is all the way through the Bible. In James chapter 4, James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. James is saying, put God's will first. It's eternal. It's the only thing that lasts is what God wants. Abraham cemented his belief through circumcision. We do so in baptism, where we go into the baptismal waters. We say, I don't care who knows. I'm in love with Jesus. I die to myself, so I'm buried in the water. I'm raised to walk a new life in Christ. And God didn't just make the plans. He is Lord over all. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for our church. He's got a plan in this world. Well, this week, Cindy and I were out to dinner with a couple who's contemplating, God, what do you want to do with us? What do you want to do with our stuff? And so we're eating dinner and we're talking about the things about our church and there are people who love this church. And so as we're eating, the wife looked at Cindy and said, what are you and Ty going to give to the capital campaign? Now, 
I knew this question was going to come up. I hoped it wouldn't because we, like anybody, are kind of personal about money. But so Cindy looked at me. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, first off, since you're asking, we tithe regularly. Whatever God places in our hands, the Bible says, take the first tenth and give it back to the Lord as a gift, as a reminder. Everything comes from God's hands and do it through the local storehouse. So we bring it into the storehouse and we've just made it a practice our whole marriage to bring a tithe to the Lord. Whatever he gives to us, we're going to tithe on it, 10% as a starter. And then we also have put a tithe of our estate into uh, to South Shores because we love the place and people have been so kind. It's been a, a great time together. It's a wonderful church. It's doing tremendous ministry. And so when we die, uh, we're going to give 10% of anything that's left in our estate to the work of the Lord through the local church so that it can continue to flourish. And so far in our discussions at our house, we've agreed that an additional 10% for three years, or actually four years, because we're going to include the first fruits this year, um, and then go 2016, 17, 18 for the three-year pledge, we're going to give an extra tithe. In fact, I'd already run into it this week because I said, hey, let's do da-da-da. And Cindy said, well, there'll be less money next year, so we probably won't be able to do that uh, vacation or something that I had, had thought up. Now, the idea of giving a tithe to the Lord and then tithing on your estate and then uh, an extra tithe to say, uh, we need to move this forward, I would just say, as the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm following Christ, then follow me. And uh, if everybody chose this plan, we'd never need to talk about money. We'd have plenty to do God's work. So you know what the woman said? She said, well, thank you. She said, I've been trying to figure out if we should sell our home and give all the proceeds to the church and live in a trailer. I said, what? She said, I've been wondering if we should sell our home, live in a trailer, and give all the proceeds from our home to the church. Well, the two, the husband and wife are sitting right there. So I said, well, what does your husband think of this idea? And she said, well, he's not quite there yet. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty and I appreciate, you know, that they, in other words, I encourage them to say, I mean, first off, that would be sacrificial. That would be over the top. It would be heroic. It would only be because you were listening to God, and it's a statement of great faith in who God is. But in the process, you really need to be talking to each other as a couple to say, where is God leading us in this? And both come to the same place and only move forward when there's peace and there's joy in it. Of course, I left going, wow, God, what do you want from me? What do you want with my stuff? How how do I increase my faith in the greatness of our God and how we can trust God to whisper in each of our ears? Nobody being guilted into something, nobody being arm twisted. Just, God, what do you want from us? I want to surrender my whole heart to you and whatever you want, the answer is yes, because where God guides, he provides, and he's never failed us yet, and he isn't going to start now. And I'm hoping that he increases all of our faith as we pray to God and hear his voice individually or as couples and then just move forward with him. Abraham and Sarah finally surrendered themselves to God. Where they lived, how long they had to wait, what it would cost them. They gave their aged, wrinkled bodies to God. They said, God, I don't know what you want it, but I'm willing to be circumcised if he's Abraham. I'm willing for you to use my womb uh, even at 90 years old if she is Sarah. And God, they said, God, do whatever you want with us, in us, and through us. And God was pleased. 
and God did a miracle. And Sarah conceived, and as God had said and promised at 90 years old, she's holding baby Isaac in her arms. Laughter. She says, they're going to laugh over me. You know why? Because God did a miracle in me, and God did a miracle through me. God is so good. It's all about God. He's got a plan, and he's working that plan in my life. Ha! Look what he's done. And Abraham trusts God with his life and with his time and with his stuff, with his family planning, and he waited and waited, and God does his part, and that brought Abraham and Sarah joy and praise for God. We need to surrender our plans and our stuff to God. In fact, I want to encourage you this week to take this journey guide. If you jumped ahead to page 100, remember Abraham was 100 years old when this happened. There's a chart of what it's going to take for us to reach the goal to say, how do we get there? And I, I wish you'd just take this chart this week. You have this book. Lay it open on the dining room table. Put it up, I don't know, somewhere. Just set it out there to say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from us? Are we trusting you enough? To say, God, how do you want to use me? The answer is yes. And surrender our hearts completely to God. Shall we pray? Dear God, you are so good. Thank you for doing your work. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having a plan. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you that you have promised to bless people and uh, to give and to give. And you invite us to be your partners. You could do the whole thing without us but you choose to include us and to cause us to be people of faith. So I pray even now that you will speak to us and that we will hear your voice and we will follow you. Amen.